I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Sonia Virk, co-founder and partner of Virk VS and Associate Lawyers. Sonia was born in India and lost her mother when she was four years old. She and her three siblings were raised by their dad alone, and she went to boarding school starting at age five. She obtained her first law degree in India, and after deciding to immigrate to Canada, she pursued her second law degree. After some time spent working in a number of law firms, Sonia realized she wanted to launch her own. In this conversation, you'll hear about the path she's carved for herself, including her work on a number of boards and nonprofits, and how she chooses to speak up in the face of sexism and racism. Here is our conversation. Sonia, it's such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Eva, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on this. And I like to start these conversations by asking my guests to go back in time. So I'd like to know, in your case, growing up, what did you think you'd be doing as a career later in life? What kind of future did you imagine for your professional life at that point? Um, I grew up in India, so I think my um, upbringing was slightly different. I lost my mom at the age four, and my dad was a single father to four kids under the age of mm. 10. Education was something he stressed upon a lot, and uh, um I went to a boarding school in kindergarten. So I started fairly early. I went away to a boarding school. Um, and then growing up, there's a lot of pressure back home um, for kids to do well in school. I think mm -hmm. our parents were more ambitious than we were. So and the ambition is planted <laughs> by our parents into us. So the schools I went into were private schools. And there was a huge pressure on Um, becoming something in life. And my father always told me, what are you going to be? What are you going to be uh, when you're growing up? And um, initially, if you do well in school, there was an expectation you're either going to be an engineer or a doctor. And that's what I did. Grade 11 and 12, I did pre-med uh, subjects. And uh, as soon as I had to dissect a rat, I immediately realized that's not something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went into law. So I knew growing up that I wanted to be a professional. Education was the only way for me to be that. Um, I was not a business person that I was going to start some sort of business. So education was right. the only way for me to do it. And that's what um, my father encouraged me a lot. Um, so he was the reason I went into law school. And what made you chose, choose law specifically uh, instead of a, a different profession? I was quite intrigued with um, all the TV law dramas and all of that. And, <laughs> and then it turns out when I finished grade 12, a new program started, which is right after grade 12, that I could go into law and I could um, mm -hmm. get two degrees in five years. So mm -hmm. I ended up in it. And it's just, it's just something I feel is my calling. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And you chose to be self-employed as opposed to being an entrepreneur, as you just mentioned. So what was that choice like of basically uh, working for yourself, essentially? What motivated that choice? Um, I moved into Canada in my early 20s and I went to law school here. So I have two law degrees. Um, I articled with a great law firm. I had an excellent mentor. And But the firm uh, in few years had a different direction and growth strategy, which didn't really fit mine. And I always mm-hmm. wanted to, basically, you need to be a hero of your own life. So you need to follow your own dreams. So I, before I turned 30, I opened my own law practice. So I wanted wow. to be my own boss. I wanted to grow my own uh, practice. I had my own clients. If I worked hard, I wanted credit for that. So it was, it was that passion to just, I just, um, I felt I didn't have a choice or I did have a choice. It was not a lot of thinking that happened that, oh, maybe I should grow. It just how the mm-hmm. firm was operating, the previous firm I was with, and I decided I'm just going to stop my own practice. Well, congratulations. And that's, that's a bold move and it's, it's paid off in your case, but it takes a lot of courage. So uh, kudos for what you've accomplished and taking Thank that you. leap of faith. Um, you came to Canada as a, as an immigrant woman, and I, I'd like to know if you feel there were any challenges, uh, you know, specifically connected to that reality for you and you wanting to work for yourself as opposed to working in a, in a law firm, uh, what were those challenges like, if any? Um, so coming as an immigrant woman, what the basic first step, uh, first big loss you have is you lose all your friends, you lose all your circle. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, coming in Canada, the only relatives I had was my brother, my dad and my sister and her family. So I didn't have any connections here. So that was starting your own practice. That was a challenge. But I started my practice four or five years into practicing law. And once I started it, I already had a network of clients. But initially, building that was tough because you absolutely know I didn't know anyone. Um, One thing I learned was networking. When I started uh, practicing law, I went to a lot of networking events. I remember I used to go and after work, so it was long days and all of that. And then I, I kind of entered into a lot of different networks that really helped uh, grow my practice. I mm-hmm. became uh, the president of Indo-Canadian Business Association. That really helped me give me profile in the community. I was able to not only grow my practice, but also make a lot of other connections in the community. So as an immigrant, that's usually the first issue that you run into is you, you kind of lost all of your network and you have to rebuild it again. Right. As a woman, you know, we, we just have another set of challenges, So, <laughs> um, which is our society in general puts a limit on us as to mm-hmm. what we can do, how much success is good enough for us. And that the blessing that I had was I was oblivious to those limits. So it's my credit to my dad. Um, growing up, he always told me that I could do anything I wanted to do. And that, in my mind, never had, um, I didn't have a limit in my mind as to what I can achieve or do. And I was no different. Gender was irrelevant when it came to my profession, as far as I was concerned. Mm. 
I love that it's sometimes, you know, kind of having that blind faith really serves us. So uh, it's interesting how, how that shaped uh, took shape for you. Um, being self-employed, being an entrepreneur, you know, there, there's things in common. Uh, we typically have to overcome obstacles and there's uh, usually a lot of lessons, or, you know, learned along the way, not always the easy way. Uh, so I'm curious to know what was that like for you, especially uh, kind of that first year of being on your own? And was there even a time where maybe you questioned your decision of going out uh, and, and being self-employed, things that maybe made you think that a different path could have been easier? So what were those lessons for you? Um, well, I'll answer your second question first is, have sure. I ever doubted it? Yes, I have. <laughs> and I did the first year I did probably the most because there's something to be said about getting a paycheck and going home and not having to worry about all the other aspects of running your own practice. I consider myself as an entrepreneur now in the sense that it is a business that I'm running, which is a practice of law. Uh, first year was tough because, um, I feel I the best thing I did was I took baby steps into what how my growth was going to happen. So mm -hmm. getting in new staff, dealing with all the accounting setups, dealing with all the finances. Um, I I did work long hours that year for sure. Um, so the lessons I would say basically is to in general is to own your success unapologetically. Is, mm -hmm. It's like not make any excuses for your success. And I feel that a lot of women do tend to make excuses as if we needed to give an explanation as to why we're doing what we're doing, right? right. So um, having faith in yourself and having that courage, even though if you're scared, I'll just say take that first step and then keep going. Mm. That's very good advice. Um were there role models along the way? And you mentioned having, you know, chosen law and your father was a big inspiration and, and kind of a big influence on your on your career choice. I'm curious to know if there were women role models specifically that were part of your journey or maybe still inspire you today. Um, I, I thought about this quite a bit. And I've always thought about that. I don't have a particular woman that I said, oh, I want when I grow up, I wanted to be like her. Mm -hmm. um, for me, every profession was open to me uh, because I didn't have any limit in my mind because my dad had told me I could do whatever I wanted to. I'd ask him as a child, can I be prime minister of India? He'd be like, yep, you can be that. And uh, I mean, back home, we did have females in high ranking positions. Like I'd seen the prime minister uh, that was a female. I'd seen chief ministers that were female. I've seen other high-ranking women. So I didn't think I needed to generally just see women in those roles because in my mind, there's no difference between me and a man. Mm -hmm. The role models I had that gave me a lot of lessons were actually women that were um, not employed. They weren't working. They were the women who stayed at home. And what I learned from them were how to be hardworking, to be resilient, to be generous. And they were leaders. They were leaders because they led their households. They made the decisions even though they didn't get the credit for that. So that actually gave me a lot of courage uh, to do what I've done in my life because these women, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, growing up, I didn't really know many women in my personal life that were actually leaving the house, going out to work. 
but they were, mm. they were fiercely independent in the sense of um, how they ran their households. They made major decisions for their households. Um, and looking at them, I did decide that I did not want to be financially dependent on another person. So that probably inspired me to do what I did. And I could not imagine my life where I had to be financially dependent on, on, on another individual. Um, so that was, that. that's, I mean, it's not a direct role model, but it was a role mm-hmm. model in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You are also, speaking of, you know, powerful women in, in powerful positions, you're involved as a board member for a number of organizations. And you've often spoken about the need for more women to take on board roles uh, and you've highlighted before we started this interview that, you know, there is a shortage of women occupying board roles in Canada specifically. So what has that experience been like for you? And what would be your advice for young women who would be interested or women of any age, really, who would be interested uh, in, in doing that kind of work? And where's where's a good place to start? Um, my involvement in the boards were not planned Um, so what I've done all my life is if an opportunity arises, if somebody says, Sonia, do you think you'd consider this? I would actually seriously consider it and see if I could do it. And that's how the boards came in. Indo-Canadian Business Association, I was the board member and uh, a chair for one year. Uh, That was a huge help in in how I shaped my career. I've been part of um, a credit union board, which is GNF Financial. I've been part of that for eight years now. That has been a huge learning for me. And now currently I sit on also, also sit on the City Hospitals Foundation Board. Uh, for me, boards are, it's, it's a learning, it exposes me to something else other than law, but it's also a way for me to give back to the community is to, uh, through becoming a board member. Uh, boards in Canada, as they say, are male, stale and pale. So we do need more women. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good saying. (laughs) Yeah. So it's uh, more women, younger individuals. We need people of color uh, on these boards. So I encourage everyone to take these opportunities. And they could be volunteer boards. There are paid boards. Look around what's available. I've actually, uh, during COVID, I took a course uh, for be a corporate director. So I have the ICD.D designation. We weren't traveling much, so I thought I'll just do that. So it's a proper board designation. So I'm a corporate director uh, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to learn more about it. So anyone who wants to get into these boards, there's so many boards around. They're looking for women. They're looking for professional women. Unfortunately, a lot of them don't pay that well, but that's not the reason I went on any of the boards was Mm -hmm. to make money. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD services for women in business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. 
And and for someone who is interested, what's a good way of going about, you know, finding out which board is right for them and, you know, who would be looking for members? Is it just cold calling, you know, other professionals who have a board seat? Is it looking up uh, organizations that could be a good fit for somebody based on their expertise and their interests? Right. So most boards, um, um, some some of them are elect, elected boards, so right. they will seek out and say, this is what we're looking for. If you have organizations, you could go to the websites. They would always tell you the board of directors who's on it. If you have interest, you should make uh, approach approach them and see uh, what the potential is. And most boards have a potential list to put your name on it and see. And most boards have the uh, responsibility of seeking out individuals, especially professionals. Because a lot of people go on these boards when they're retired, but they want professional people who are actually actively in business and younger individuals who can actually contribute from that perspective. And I've, I've, uh, I've been on some of the boards where I was the only female. I've been on some of the boards I was hmm. the only female and a person of the only person of color. So it is amazing to represent the community and my gender on those mm-hmm. boards. And um, it is, I mean, it's just when you show up on that board and most of the guys are older and and then they, they kind of don't know what to do with you, right? So, <laughs> so they kind of play around to see, oh, should I give her advice? Should I do this? So it just it takes a little bit um, time to kind of for them to be comfortable around you. But that's the whole game is not only women need to step forward, other individuals who are on those boards need to learn how to deal with those women being mm-hmm. on the boards. And what well, you mentioned, having encountered, you know, men on boards, and, and I'm sure this is true in, in your job as well, who, in your words, don't know what to do with women. How do you deal with that? And has there ever been a time, or I'm sure there were probably multiple instances, of men who maybe questioned or challenged your expertise as a woman, as an immigrant woman, in your position, either as Uh, an attorney or as a board member and how do you react how do you manage those situations when they show up and I know that's a reality for a lot of women who and and and, you know for for many of us sometimes we don't know how to react when we're faced with that reality um what I've done personally is call it out Mm -hmm. and um um say it clearly Right. Um, I've as a as a lawyer, I've had issues with um, other lawyers that I'm dealing with, basically pushing it more because it's they think I'm a female, I'm an immigrant, I'm a brown person. Um, and then uh, on board, same thing. Right. And you, you get a little bit more of a pushback. And as soon as you stand your ground, I feel they 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 step back. After that, Mm. I've had various incidences where I had to say something where or or, or the conversation on the board table is turning into misogyny or is turning into uh, being racist for whatever reason. And that's when my role is to speak. That's the reason I'm on that board is that I speak Mm. for that, uh, what I represent. And I mean, I could go incident after incident where, I mean, it's it's subtle. It's not, a lot of times it's not in your face where somebody is going to uh, give you, um, tell you that you did a good job. And it's not coming from a place saying, yes, you did a good job. It's coming yeah. from a place where they think, 
oh, you're a woman. We didn't expect that much out of you, but you still mm-hmm. did a good job. So here, well done. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've all, we've all heard that. <laughs> right. So a, a lot of those happen. And then, and then, you know, what funny thing is, as you work with um, other individuals who are not exposed to say women working out, working with women or people of color or any of that, they learn too. It's also their opportunity mm-hmm. to learn, learn. And a lot yeah. of times it's because they're not exposed to all of that. They don't know how to yeah. deal with it. So um, it's not always like not bad intent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you find that, and I, I like your your attitude of, you know, calling it out, whether it's gender discrimination or, or flat out racism, um, do you find typically that this kind of deals with the issue The you know, the person on the other side kind of gets the message and then acts differently from that point on? I would say so. I would say so. And then there's certain situations that you can't really call it out because it's so subtle that you're in a setting yeah. that you're not able to speak up based on yeah. saying, oh, is it because I'm a woman or because I'm brown? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but then most situations, it's as I said, it's not ill intended. It's just people don't know. As soon as you mm-hmm. correct them, they correct their way too. And then other places, as they say, if it is um, ill intended, it's just like the bully is scared of somebody standing up. That's all they yeah. need is someone to stand up. I mean, yeah. it's a struggle. It is a struggle. Even so many years um, into my career, and I talk to other female lawyers and other entrepreneurs, and I advise businesses all, all the time. And majority of my clients are men. And I don't have an issue with any of those. But when dealing with other professionals, occasionally you run into some issues. It's it's usually they're trying to cover their own incompetences when they come yeah. after you for something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. part of our lives, unfortunately, but it's hopefully the next generation doesn't suffer as much as we did. Mm. Yeah, well, I like your advice of standing up because, you know, it, it, it can be other things too. Sometimes it's not about gender specifically. Uh, but it's important to speak up and you're, you're an inspiration uh, yourself doing that. Um, speaking of that and speaking of being an inspiration, I'd love to know what your definition of leadership is and in your own practice, um, how, how do you offer support to the next generation? How do you offer support for your team, for other women on your team, uh, which typically are you know, things that a, that a leader looks to do, but I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you what your, what your definition of leadership is and how that comes into play on a daily basis. Um, so my approach towards leadership or being a boss or uh, any of that is basically, I, I mean, for me, everyone matters, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, being a leader could mean that if there's an issue between two individuals, I'm resolving it and I'm basically giving them what to do and also showing them by example how to do it and all of that. But at the end of the day, everyone matters. My my team is not less than what my clients are. So my clients are not allowed to mistreat the team just because mm-hmm. they think it's an assistant or whatever else. Um, and also to treat them as humans because they have their good days, bad days. They have stuff going on in their personal lives. Um, they need career advice. They need to grow. They need to progress. So all of that. And I'm I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I'm able to advise my team on all of that. And the team I have at work is um, they've all come to me for 
advice on their career on their personal uh, side and all of that we can't really compartmentalize all aspects of our life there's an overlap mm-hmm. in all of right. them um so from being a leader is just being you and being um basically leading by example and and being a good human being at the end of mm-hmm. the day uh because mm-hmm. any any of my team members they're not just there to make me for revenue and all of that there's they're individuals they have own issues that they have to deal with so basically right. treating them all the same and they all matter is a very important mm-hmm. and being you know self-employed and as we know for any professional women women entrepreneurs we tend to take a lot on and we've been sold kind of this concept of work life balance which in my personal experience is very hard if not impossible to achieve at least not all at once um what's your approach to uh having some form of balance in your life and mostly you know staying grounded and staying sane uh, amidst amidst it all and 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 amidst all of the work that uh, you're you're putting in your your own uh, uh, your own practice basically so what does that look like for you um I'm I mean I had to and like everyone has to work long hours and all of that initially especially uh but I've been very fortunate to have a I feel a good work life balance where I'm able to um do my work and then also come home at five o'clock and then do live rest of my life I don't believe in the I feel like our culture has glamorized working long hours and working all yeah. the time and working the weekends. I am very proud that I don't. Good I don't you. work on the weekends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what the trick is to uh find the right people and know how to delegate and also mm-hmm. know when to say uh no to work. We can all all work all the time but at the end of the day our my purpose in life i feel is not to make the most amount of money my purpose is to live a very purposeful happy healthy life that would be my purpose in life so i am um, i have have uh, fortunate to have good staff that is able to assist me with my practice uh, my brother and i work together so he's also a lawyer so that helps too so we cover each other mm-hmm. when we don't <laughs> we're not around so we can take some holidays um and then it just is priorities as like how much is how much is enough at the end of the day and knowing that i think is is very important i get to i travel i i have a workout regime that i follow i eat healthy i cook i hike i run so all that aspects of your life has i mean what's the point of working if you don't do enjoy your life Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. Those are very wise words. Um, and in closing, my favorite question to ask guests on the show, what's one thing you wish women would do more of and one thing you wish women would do less of? Um, I think um, I'd basically say women, as women, we need to dream bigger. We need to aim mm. higher because I think there's a limit that society puts on us, but we don't have to put that on ourselves. As soon as we start doing that more often as to saying, I can basically do anything I put my mind to, um, that, that glass ceiling that we always talk about in every field is going to shatter in no time. 
wants me basically. So I'd like women to do more of that. Less of is, I mean, it's also more of a little in another way. Um, in my practice, I see, as I said, a lot of my clients are men uh, because mm-hmm. I advise a lot of businesses. I do a lot of property transactions. Uh, I'd like to see more women there. I'd like mm. to see more women, uh, women professionals other than just going to work and coming back. I would like to see them um, also invest. I'd also start something else on the side. Um, also take charge. And even if women, a lot of times women are involved, they're just behind the scenes. They're letting the men in their lives make those, those decisions. And mm-hmm. be financially smart about it. Make your own financial decisions. I feel like they need to do that. I'm going to add one more, even though you only asked one of each, is create your own network, especially for women. Our own female network groups are very, very important because we've all gone through similar stuff. Even female leaders to female, you could be in your own professionals. I've actually benefited so much from those. Um, They've become my friends, they're mentors, they support, we support each other. And say a female's name when the opportunity arises. Um, Put a hand out to pull the other person uh, up if you see somebody struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think as women, we need to reach out to each other more. We need to basically support each other more. Absolutely. That's a, that's a very good answer to that question. Thank you for that. Um, Sonia, is there any parting words, anything else you'd like women to know as they're looking to build a career, whether it's being a professional, uh, you know, being self-employed or becoming an entrepreneur? Um, I'd be repeating what I've already said. Yeah. Which is <laughs> You've given a lot of great advice. <laughs> <laughs> basically, you can do absolutely anything and you do not have to compromise at all for any any field that you're in. Um, you just stand your ground, live your life with integrity. That's all I say is and support each other, support each other uh, for sure. Mm, yeah, that's that's uh, great advice as well. Well, thank you so much, Sonia. It was great hearing about your journey and uh, especially your your advice, the lessons you've learned along the way. And I will take inspiration from your words when I encounter uh, someone who challenges my own expertise and I will call it out. So thank you for that and wishing you the best with your practice and what is uh, coming up next for you over the next few years. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you, Eva. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women in Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico.